Well, if you want to turn in the Bible to Romans chapter 12, that's where we'll be today. If we haven't met personally, my name's Dan Jarvis, one of the pastors here. And if you're newer to our BCBC family, I do want to let you know there really is a place here for you. The last few weeks we've been talking about how people are gifted and how they're equipped by God for ministry, for impact, for opportunity. And, and last week we gave out a test just for people to be able to test out where their best strengths might lie, where their spiritual gifts would be. And I hope you got a chance to take that. If you missed that week, let me know and I'll be happy to give you a copy of that. Uh, it's just kind of helpful to review, like, all right, Lord, what have you built me to do? And then the next question logically is, well, where should I use those gifts? Where should I plug in? And I would encourage you to say there, is, there are literally an endless number of opportunities. Um, not, not, I don't really think of it like there are holes to fill. I mean, sometimes you, you say, wow, we really need somebody to do X. That's important, but I, I look at it a little bit more in the realm of opportunity. There, there are so many things we could do for Christ. There are so many people who need his love. There are so many ways we could serve each other or even serve our community that if you're gifted and you're willing, there is definitely a way for you to utilize that. Even if it's in a ministry like position that doesn't even exist yet, talk to us. We'd love to help you plug in. Uh, I'd encourage you to check in with either your life group leader or your advocate if you feel like you're not plugged in and just let them know that and let's start a process to help you feel more connected, not just to the community here for your sake, but the opportunity you have to make an impact with your life. Okay, so in Romans 12, we're learning about what it means to live the Christian life. Uh, this symbol is the Arabic letter N, and in the Middle East, they denote Christian with that symbol. It means Nazarene, and that would be someone who follows Jesus the Nazarene. Um, so this obviously is kind of relevant to us in a different way here in the last couple of weeks. We're seeing the news from Israel and all just the heartbreaking, horrifying, gut-wrenching realities that are there. Um, and so many risks, not only for the people who live there, but for the whole region, the whole world. And, uh, and just another really powerful evidence that our world needs God's love and our world needs the gospel. And so as much as we all would have like a desire from a, I don't know, a political or military perspective to see the good guys win, sure, uh, but there's a reason why these things are happening to begin with, and that is that people's hearts are broken. Uh, people's, um, people's souls are broken. And so the work that we're involved in in sharing the gospel is a part of, that, of the global answer to all the problems that we see on the news. And uh, so I would encourage you um, to use that, if, if that's what it takes, use that to propel you to action, to recognize that there's no reason to sit on the sidelines. Uh, God has equipped you to show his love, and whether you're doing that locally or globally, wherever you go, uh, be a witness. Uh, take life seriously. Don't, don't wait around for something to happen to you. Decide to proactively get involved in what actually is the answer for the world. So when we say we're a Christian, we're marking ourselves as saying our plan is to follow Jesus. The world might follow other people or other desires. Or a lot of people just follow their own hearts, but not, not us. We're, we're marked as Christians to follow him. And uh, in Romans, the book of Romans, you, you can find Romans 12 in a narrative that starts with the need we have and the grace of God to save us. And then Romans 12 says, well, in view of all that, how should we live? What should we do? So we're walking slow motion through that chapter this fall just to really answer that question. What should we do if we're following Jesus? Um, I also, a few weeks ago, offered you three 
practical challenges in this study, uh, partially for fun, but also because I think sometimes maybe we need to engage with the Bible in different ways other than just hearing a preacher talk about it. And uh, so these were three challenges that I put out to you. One is to wear an N t-shirt or hoodie or jewelry. And not only have some of you been wearing that, that's great. You found that, find those online, but some of you have created those things. That's really neat. Start seeing those homegrown expressions of that here in our church family. Uh, October surprise is if you would like to memorize the whole chapter of Romans 12. I say the whole chapter. It's 21 verses. For those of you veteran memorizers, that's just an afternoon in the, on the beach, right? That's no big deal. But I know for some of you, you go, I don't think I've used that muscle in my brain for 30 years or, or 60 years or ever. Um, so I would encourage you, start working it out. Start trying. You never know. Uh, maybe that would really be a life-changing experience for you. Um, and I will say, and I'm not going to guess her age, but I'll just say a lady who, um, I don't even know if you're in here, so I'm not, I don't want to like offend you or something, but let's just say a lady who's over 30 came to me and said, I already did it. I already memorized Romans 12. I said, wow, that's great. Go for it. So, um, so there's a little mystery bag uh, for you and then for anyone else who takes that challenge, if you can do that by the 29th. Hey, and then an art project, communicate Romans 12 truth. You read the whole chapter and just say, you know, what do I see artistically? So that's, that's brought up some interesting things. There's somebody next week who's relatively new to our congregation is going to read a, read a poem he wrote in response to Romans 12. I think it's really neat. Uh, somebody else came up to me the other day and said, I, I think I'm going to paint something, but like where could I display it? So we talked about that. So, hey, if, if God has gifted you with a creative way of communicating Read Romans 12 and just say, hey, could I use my creative gift of communication uh, to, to help convey the truths of this, of this chapter? And we'll be in this chapter all the way through Thanksgiving. So you've got plenty of time to work on these projects, okay? So verse 1, getting into our content for today, frames the whole rest of our story in Romans 12. Verse 1 says that when you respond to God's mercy, the right response is to offer yourself to him. Says, offer your body as a living sacrifice. So recognize that Jesus is your Lord, and you, you hand God yourself, and you say, well, Lord, here I am. Um, whatever's wrong with me, whatever's right about me, I'm just giving everything I have to you. From here forward, you direct my life. And that's the mark of Christians everywhere, whatever style of church they come from. And the, the mark of a true Christian is someone who treats Jesus as the Lord. And, uh, and so we learned about that, we've walked through those principles, and now we're down to verses 9 and 10 in the Scripture. Okay, here's what those say. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. So when you look at that, first of all, would you say that that verse is fairly simple to understand? Say, well, sure, that, that really, I don't know if you could break it down any more simply than that. Is that verse easy to obey? No, right? It's simple, it's not easy when you look at that because you recognize, wow, well, love, love in, involves everything about who I am, my motivations, my attitudes, the words, the way I treat people. It, it also doesn't say just, you know, really love the people who are easy to love. It's just lumping everybody together. And you look around the room and you go, well, some of the people around me are easier to love than others. Uh, there are some people I wouldn't mind having a closer relationship. There's other people that I would really rather not have to engage with at all. 
But no, we're called to really love people with the same intensity, the same quality of love as the way Jesus loved. That's, that's pretty tough. So we have a two-part message today. Uh, in the first part, we're going to talk about the power we have to love. Where does that even come from? And then we're going to come back and say, all right, look at this verse. How do we do it? Okay, so to help us with the first piece of this, the motivation to love, even the freedom to be able to love, we're going to talk to Pastor Dell. So Dell, you can join me on stage here. And uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Dell, in addition to working here at the church, is also a licensed therapist. So you work with families um, and all sorts of complex situations that people have, right? And you know, they come, they say, I need counsel. And um, in fact, you've even told me before that from a professional perspective, you're like, hey, if there's like a really tough scenario, like you actually like thinking about that, like how do you apply God's word and practical wisdom to like really complicated life situations, right? That's true. And you know, when you thought about obstacles to love, you know, I don't know how I feel that you thought of me. Yeah, right, (laughs) right. (laughs) So good morning. Yeah, so... Um, so we want to jump in, and, uh, and here's, the, here's my, my first question for you is, what, when you think about, I need the clicker, so we're going to look at a few things in a minute. Um, when you think about what holds people back from loving one another, maybe inside of a family, maybe even just a marriage, like a spouse loving the other spouse, or all of us, a whole church family trying to share love, what, what are the barriers that are in the way? Well, we, co- we come to all these situations where we're trying to love people with a history, right? So we don't come as a blank slate. We come with our experiences of receiving love or not receiving it. And so, um, you know, when we're in the present with a person, some of our past experiences are also with us, and those experiences aren't always good. You know, we've all, we've all experienced rejection at some level, and it's no fun. And so we can bring a certain anxiety to that, and some of us have learned to kind of manage and, um, and kind of protect that uncomfortable feeling of, of things not going well in relationships by having a certain distance. So some of us are a little more avoidant, you know, and so we come into situations really wanting to love, like this verse says, don't just pretend to do it. Really do it, but it's like, well, uh, you know. Um, and I think it's, uh, that's where the rubber hits the road is learning how to work through in the present all those, uh, you know, fears of rejection. Yeah, so, so you would say, like, here we are reading this verse together, you know, is it really love other people is basically what it says. And you're, you would say that if we've had negative experiences with love in our past, now we're looking at that verse going, either that feels threatening, like I don't know if I want to, like if I really love people, they could hurt me. Or if I really love people, something's going to go wrong. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a fact, right? Uh, it might. Yeah. Um, and for a lot of us, it has, right? So it's like, wow, what do I do with that? And, you know, I think if we zoom out a little bit, and in fact, we can, we'll probably look at some of these verses as you're talking about all this, but it's like the only person that loves perfectly is God, right? Mm-hmm. So he loves perfectly. The rest of us love imperfectly, and so we've all had experiences of that. Um, and so, you know, if you even zoom in, like, like, just think about a common experience of, you know, a little baby coming into the world. That baby doesn't even know yet 
that they're an I, right? That they have an identity. They're just, uh, if you watch, it's really beautiful to watch, but when you watch a little baby with a caregiver, the general pattern of that interaction is um, I cry and you come, right? It's like I'm, I'm dysregulated in some way. I'm wet, I'm hungry, I'm tired. I don't really know what's happening. Um, and here comes this beautifully attuned mother or caregiver to say, oh, what's wrong, you know? Like, let me help you. Um, and that experience is very comforting and whatever. And so when that, when that happens at a good pace, you know, a good, a good regularity, we develop, you know, eventually our identities develop, you know, around 18 months to two years. Um, it's really fun to sometimes look at some YouTube videos when a little baby, you know, they'll sometimes try to share their toys or their food with, some, with the little baby in the mirror, you know, because uh, they don't even know that that's them, right? And then there's a moment where they recognize, oh, that's me in the mirror, you know, and it's like, it's like that sense of I. But you, we actually come into our identities about who we are out of an interactive relationship with our caregivers, mm-hmm. right? And when that happens, when there's an attuned, loving, regulated adult, adults, who are providing like that good, constant, responsive love, a child or a person develops a sense that the world actually is safe, you know, that, I, that it's predictable, that I belong in that world. Um, however, we all know that that doesn't happen. Even the best of parents don't do that perfectly, right? We didn't, I didn't do it perfectly for my children. Um, and parents bring a lot to that or caregivers bring a lot to that relationship, and it's not always good, right? So they haven't had perfect formations. We're tired. We're stressed out. You know, sometimes uh, things have not gone well at work or in our, you know, in our relationships, and so we're bringing volatility to that, right? So it's not perfect. Um, and so then we also have these experiences that the world isn't safe, that we don't belong, that we're not accepted, and that's a horrible feeling. Like, neurologically, it's the worst, you know? And so we develop all these strategies about our personality and everything else to sort of just try to squeeze out of life a predictable experience of safety, of belonging, of acceptance, significance, security, these kinds of things, you know? And that's just what it is to be human. Hmm. You know, it's just all of us are like that. So we're all carrying that around with us. Yeah, so as the Bible tells us to love the way Jesus does, uh, here's, a, here's a statement you shared with me that uh, maybe you could unpack for us a little bit. Yeah, uh, we are not free to love perfectly until we have been loved perfectly. So um, I just referenced this, these experiences that we have um, where we cry out. You know, I'm, I'm using this as a baby, but as we get older, we cry in different ways out for responsive love, and we don't, we're not always met with that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's terrifying. It's, um, it's painful. And so that creates inside of all of us a certain anxiety, like it's like, can I, what can I really count on from other people? Um, now, some of us, uh, the way that we respond to that feeling of discomfort about that anxiety is we get really avoidant, right? So it just makes sense. Like, if I, if I create a certain amount of distance in my relationships, if I'm not vulnerable, you know, if I don't put it out there in a way that can be hurt, I feel more in control. I feel safer that way. I feel more comfortable. And this becomes automatic. So some of us are really distant. We're not, we don't know how to connect emotionally. Some of us have even disconnected from that experience inside of ourselves of being uncomfortable. So it's just like, this is life. We're stoic. 
you know, I won't, I won't name anybody except all the guys in the room, but anyways, um, <laughs> you know, this is a typical, you know, sometimes this, is, this happens for men and women, so I don't want to get too stereotypical with it, but like, we also have cultural like prototypes of like what a good man or a good woman is in that, right, mm -hmm. emotionally. And so, and so this all gets kind of mixed up, is my point. Okay. So, yeah, so until, until, until we actually have reliable experiences of love, we're kind of locked up, right? And so this is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is such incredible good news. It's not only a message about salvation that's going to happen to you after you die. It's actually about a, a kind of salvation that's actually coming into life right now to heal the deepest places of our hearts, right? Mm -hmm. um, so if we're not loved perfectly, we're going to try to use our environment, use relationships to try to get really, really critical things met, questions that we have in our own hearts about what makes us significant or what makes us secure or what makes us accepted. So we're actually using our relationships for that. Seems like that, that's one of the dynamics that leads to a lot of broken relationships as people can't fill each other's void and then they say well it's not working for me anymore or you're not making me happy when there's something else going on there that, that they're looking to that person to give them some sort of purpose or affirmation or value that that relationship was never designed to transfer they yeah. they, they need they need a divine connection there to, to to fill that void absolutely it's kind of what all country music's about <laughs> it's it's uh it's tragic in a way though because it's like we're missing each other right we're just we need this so badly and yet we're so afraid and so and so then we're we're acting with we're reacting to people that are also afraid and it just, we just make a mess of it sometimes right and it's like what do we do like uh, you know we it's like the more the more desperate you get to extract it really the more impossible it becomes right mm -hmm. so this is why like so then so then Jesus comes into the middle of this and says like. Uh, I was actually just reading this morning, coming over on, in First John 4, which is kind of another apostle with a parallel message for, like, what we're looking at today. But it's like, yeah, so this is it. Like, this is love. Like, or the translation in the NLT says, this is actually what real love looks like. So we're talking about really love people, like, in this text. Mm -hmm. And this text is saying, oh, and if you want to know what real love looks like, here it is, that God actually loved us and sent his son while we were in the middle of our brokenness or our sins. So God, God actually, if you think about the message of what the gospel is about, is that God actually moves toward us at the precise moment of our vulnerability. Like, we're not cleaned up. We're not perfect. We're not, we're, we have all these fears that we're loading into that relationship about significant security acceptance. And God, in the middle of that moment for us, our most terrified moment, disarms our fears with this incredible movement down to us. So would you say, I mean, in a way, if you, if you think of God's love as what, in, what frees us to love, we could say we're, we're saved, we feel God's love for us as we're saved, but he's also saving us so that we can give love. Yeah, and, and the way, it's like the salvation actually is happening, um, you know, like... W we come into the family of God supernaturally by the Spirit of God, right? There's, a, there's kind of like, we talk about a conversion in that sense, like where we give our lives to God and he, he lays hold of us in a, in a personal way, in a real way. But it's also happening as we go, 
like we are actually being healed by love. So let me just read you a couple uh, other places here. And I did remember my glasses, so I can do this. Okay, but let me just, uh, this is in First John 4, so this is where we just looked at this is love, you know, so we're given this picture of it, this is real love. And then look down, well, I don't even have to look, I'll just read it to you here in verse 16, so a little bit further down in this text. Um, we come to know how much God loves us, and listen to this phrase, and we have put our trust in his love. The next text tells us that we can come to actually live in that love. So the love of God that is coming towards us to these deepest vulnerable places actually is something that we can experience more and more. We can come to trust it. Okay? So as we trust that love, it starts to do something in us. Mm-hmm. It starts to touch those deep places of fear and then verse 17 says, as we live in, our, in God, our love grows more perfect. And then it talks about how in verse 18, that love casts out our fear. Mm-hmm. Like perfect love casts out fear. So do you see, do you follow how that's working? Like we come to experience and know the love of God, not as we should be, but as we are, right? As that love comes to touch us and we begin to experience it and go, wow, you know, like, I'm actually loved in the middle of my brokenness. I'm terrified. I'm afraid. Like, I'm insecure. I don't know if I'm significant. I don't know if I'm accepted. Oh, God loves me then. That kind of experience starts to, like, change our, it actually changes our neurology. It changes us from the inside. It starts to, it starts to integrate, is what psychologists talk about. It starts to, all these fragmented places in us. Um, and we have a foundation at the very center of our being in God where we know that we're loved that we're accepted, that we're significant, that we're secure. And then that love begins to cast out our fear of these experiences of unlove with people, right? So now, now I can come to a relationship. Of course, I still care about you know, how you respond to me, but my identity isn't based on how you respond to me, right? Because I know who I am. I know I'm loved. Now I'm free then to actually offer you something that's unconditional. Like I can actually love you the way that God loves, that, that unconditional love, because even if you reject me, I have capacity inside of myself and God to not let that destabilize me at, the, at, the, at my foundation. And so I'm, that, that, that sense of the safety enables me to offer that to others, if that makes sense. And this is freedom. It's actually a relational freedom. It's a, it's a freedom in love. Um, and that's why these apostles started to write about this because they're going, did you guys know that this is possible for human beings to actually be rewired at the very core of your being, to have love actually become your primary experience at the very depths of yourself and therefore be free in ways that are revolutionary to be human in the way that you love others. Hmm. And this transforms our marriages, our families, ultimately the communities and world, and you're exactly right. Like, when you look at a place like uh, the Middle East, or you even look at, you look at actually just around the corner <laughs> in our own neighborhoods, and you say, what, did it, what is it that people need? They need love. And they need this kind of love. Wow. Thank you. So before we, before we go into the practical side of this verse and say, okay, how do we as a church follow it? I wonder, would you be willing to pray over all of us, knowing that 
everybody's in a different spot. So I know some of you are walking into church today ready to be activated to go out in love. Others are at the beginning of this story where you're saying, I, I still need to understand God's love for me. Uh, so Del, maybe you could pray particularly yeah. for those people. Yeah. So. Lord, experiences of unlove are hell to us. And I know, that, I know that many of us have locked in with a kind of hell of our own. Thank you, Lord, that love has come down to us. That we can, that we have, that we can see it, that we can experience it, that we can come to know it as we live in love with you. Thank you that your love is shaped to perfectly touch the hole in our hearts and to heal it and to give us capacity that we never dreamed but always longed for. Um, thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that is alive, that is with us now and will be with us forever. Uh, may we grow in love. May we come to know this love that passes understanding. Um, and may we be freed to love in beautiful ways uh, in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Dill. All right, so Romans 12, uh, 9 and 10, we're going to walk through it here in the next couple of minutes and just ask how we apply these verses to our lives. All right, so let's zoom in on the first phrase. When it says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them, it made me think about what would pretend love look like. Now, I think we've all experienced it, or we could all probably sniff it out and recognize it. Um, but if you think, how would I define that? You know, pretend love, is, it's made to look like the real thing. The words might sound the same. Some of the actions could be the same, but the motivations and the direction of the relationship's a lot different. Uh, so in brainstorming that, here, here are a couple ideas of maybe how we ferret out the difference between pretend love and real love. Uh, pretend love is primarily about getting. So that's where you as the one trying to extend love, if it's pretend, it's, it's somehow it's for your own benefit. So you could think of it in, in simple terms, it's, it's when you go and you give the sandwich to the homeless guy and you take a selfie of you and the sandwich guy and post it on your social media, you say, well, were you really loving that homeless guy um, or were you loving the idea of looking like you love homeless guys? Uh, was it really about you? Okay, so that's getting, not really giving. And uh, there's lots of ways people do that. They do that in romantic relationships where somehow, even though the words all sound like it's about how much I care about you, it's really about the fact that I have all these emotional needs I'm trying to meet and I'm hoping you'll meet them. Um, being served versus serving. So one of the ways you could sniff it out is if you realize that when I come to this relationship, what I'm really looking for is someone to do something for me. Um, that isn't love. Uh, love is when you're the one saying, I'm offering to serve. Um, pretend love is really for me versus really for them. Um, and pretend love, I think, is defined by promises more than sacrifices. Obviously, you can make promises to people you really love, but you think of somebody who pretend loves, they're always promising, yeah, I'll do that, yeah, I, I care about you, or we'll have this life together, or something's going to go better in the future than it is right now. Real love is marked by actually sacrificing what you have or what you want for the good of the other person. And if there's no sacrifice involved in the relationship, if the person is never giving beyond a promise, 
then I would venture a guess that that person doesn't really love you. Okay, so we say, well, we, we want to fall on the side of real love, not pretend love. What does that look like? And then we have this phrase, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Now, depending on how you read the Bible, some people read, you know, phrase by phrase. Some people read paragraph by paragraph or story by story. I kind of like reading it in all different ways just to, just to make sure I'm not missing something. If you pull that sentence out and just look at it, I think you would land on a different meaning than when you see it in the paragraph. So before that sentence is talking about real love, and what's it talking about after that sentence? Real love. Okay, so does that sentence have something to teach us about what real love looks like? It, it must, right? I mean, it's right in the middle there, or else it would be very out of context. So thinking of it that way, hate what is wrong is in the middle of these phrases about genuine love. Um, you can use this as a test of your love for others or of their love back to you. Now, here's what I mean. This, is, this sentence to me deals with tough love. It's where you're willing um, not just to say what somebody wants to hear, not just to kind of blow the sunshine and the roses and the, make it all sound touchy-feely and great, but actually to be able to be frank and real with people, right? So, um, so you've said, well, who really loves me? Here would be a way to think of it. The, the person who really loves me is the one that's willing to tell me the hard truth. Right? Is, is that easy to do? How many of you enjoy sharing hard truth with other people? You're like, oh, I don't know. If I'm, am I supposed to raise my hand? No, you don't have to raise your hand for that one. Um, because it's not enjoyable to confront someone, right? But sometimes it is the right thing to do. And it actually takes love in your heart to go have a hard conversation. If you really don't love the person... This is what I always say to my kids when I'm doing a dad lecture. If, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't be having this conversation. Um, the reason I'm willing to take my time and my emotions and my energy and not be doing what I would rather be doing and here argue with you about something is because I love you. Okay, that's evidence that I love you. Um, so the one who will confront me with what's wrong is someone who actually loves me. Now that, that can be done in a spirit of love or of pride. That's a different discussion, but... If you think about the person who actually is willing to tell you the truth is the person you should move toward. That's the person who cares about you, um, the person who will celebrate what is good. So you think we all have friends who might like kind of drag us the wrong way in life, and then we have other friends who are inviting us, who are pulling us the right way. Say so they're holding tightly to what's good. That's love. The love is involved in that. Uh, you want to be with the people who are pulling you in the right direction, uh, the one who will correct my wrong ideas is someone who actually loves me, because they don't want my life to go the wrong way. Uh, the one who will push me to excellence, even when that's not always comfortable. Uh, they're, willing to, they're willing to offer that push because they care. Uh, I was thinking of this Proverb 20, uh, Proverbs 27, 6 says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. All right, so if someone is willing to kiss you, but they're not willing to tell you the truth, is that person your friend? Is that person good marriage material? No, right? Because obviously they're, they're more in the category of an enemy at that point. They may not say that. They might not even think that. But the truth is they're an enemy to your best if that's who they are. Um, but when a friend wounds you, when a friend has to have a hard discussion with you, that's something you can trust because you say, wow, this person cares. Therefore, uh, I'm willing to listen. 
Okay, another, if you want to think of this in parenting terms, Proverbs says, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Think, wow, that's a pretty strong statement, right? Um, if you don't love your children, then you say, well, just let them do whatever they want. Who cares? Uh, but when you take the time to actually discipline them, to help them connect choices and consequences together with, with whatever those consequences are going to be, that's evidence of your love, okay? And that's evidence that you are loved when people are willing to do that for you. So I, I look at love as, you know, there's lots of ways to define love, but in this context, I'd say really is when you are willing to say to the person, I want the best for you. This interaction we're having is not primarily about me. Now, what's a beautiful thing is when two people want the best for each other, right? Isn't that great? When you love them and they love you back, Obviously, that's what a great marriage is made out of, when everybody actually wants the best for each other. Nobody's in it for just themselves. Um, so I'm willing to want the best for you, even if it's harder for me, uh, or even if it hurts our fellowship, even if you don't want the best for yourself. That's where it gets really tough, right? When you're looking at the person and going like, I care about you, but I feel like I'm caring about you more than you're caring about you. Um, or even if, they, even if you don't or won't understand. Um, and that, to me, is a sacrificial version of love. In many ways, that's exactly what Jesus did. He came to that which was his own, in John 1. His own did not recognize him. His own didn't receive him. They rejected him. The people he came to save and love were the ones who were yelling, crucify him. Uh, they didn't understand. Some of them had hard hearts they wouldn't understand. But Jesus' love was so strong because Jesus wasn't looking to them, for, as Del was saying, to try to get security or affirmation or acceptance. Jesus already knew he was fully loved and accepted by his Father. He was now giving love unconditionally. So love values righteousness. Love plays the long game. Love thinks about outcomes, not just feelings. Okay? So as we think about who we love, first of all, this might be helpful to go, who actually loves me? But as we're applying it today, how we love one another um, is both, there's a whole bunch of positive with that. There's also some negative. There's positive in that we get to go out and affirm, hey, I love you, and I want to spend time with you. But sometimes the negative side of that is, you know what, I have to tell you the truth, or sometimes we're going to walk through difficult terrain together. But here's the point. We're together, and the reason I would bother going through the difficult terrain with you is because why? I love you, or else forget it, right? Um, so really loving each other in church or in our families is about wanting the very best for one another. So you look at the person next to you and say, I want the best for you. Go ahead and practice. Okay, now hopefully that's actually true, right? You say, I don't even know who that person is. Well, that's the easy kind of love. It's a little harder if you know the person really well. Uh, but if you say, I want the very best for you, that's who really loves you, and that's how you know who you really love, is if in your motivations of your connection with that person, you say, in my heart of hearts, I want the best for them, even if it's not somehow benefiting me back. Okay, so we look at our text and we say, okay, I'm going to put all this together. Um, I want to really love people the way Jesus did. Jesus has freed me to love people. I, I'm willing to do the hard stuff too. Like I'm willing to hate what's wrong and cling and hold fast to the stuff that's good. I want us to love each other. I want to love you with genuine affection. Now, in some ways, that phrase doesn't need a lot of explanation. 
But I was thinking about how, have you ever heard someone say, oh, I come from a really affectionate family? Del, would you say your family is pretty affectionate? Yeah, you guys are that way. Because they'll, they'll like, at the end of an interaction, he'll be like, hey, bring it in, and I've got to hug him. I go, come on, man, you know, I, just give me, ten, give, me, give me $50, and I'll feel the love that way. But I don't want to hug, you know. But some of you are really into hugs, and, you're, and we, we call that affection, right? So I was thinking, well, what is affection? And, and there, again, there's, these are words that have lots of meaning, and you could define them, but as one who likes to edit, um, I was thinking about the difference between effect with an E and effect with an A. Okay, you know those two words? Um, it's actually sometimes still, I mean, I feel like I'm a pro at editing, and it's still kind of hard to know which one to use sometimes, but generally, effect is, is sort of passive. It's when something is happening to something else. Um, and so it's a little, it's, there's a sense in which it's passive, like, you know, if, if, there was a, if there was a big explosion somewhere and you say, well, wow, what are the effects? And I'd be like, well, tell me about where, what did that explosion impact? Um, affect is where you're choosing for something to happen, so you're trying to affect a change. You're trying to make something happen. You're essentially trying to cause effects when you affect. So I thought, well, that's interesting because affection is somehow related to that, right? So, so here's a venture of how we might think of it. Affection is proactive care. That is when you say, bring it in, right? That creates something that wouldn't have existed. When you say, let's get close, or Let, let's have a conversation, let's care about one another. And so he's saying, love each other with genuine affection. It's not just sort of like, be there and be friendly and be ready. He's saying, no, step forward and proactively find ways to love people and care for them. Like, make this a part of your life. And it, we've already established it's not pretend, it's going to be genuine. But now we're stepping forward saying, it's not just that I'll be ready to react well when something happens to me. No, I'm going to go make things happen. I will proactively care. So you look at your family and you say, well, how could I proactively care for the people in my household? You look at the church, and you say, well, here we are all sitting together. How could we proactively care for one another when we say that we're all done today? What would that look like? Um, genuinely offer, plan to affect people with your love. Okay, and then here's the last little bit, take delight in honoring each other, which I think is really fun, but it does have to come from that place of security that Dell was talking about. It's really hard to praise somebody else or celebrate the wins of other people, honor someone else, if you're worried about how you look, if you're worried about yourself getting credit for stuff, if you're worried about, how, you know, like, well, wait a minute, what if that makes me look bad because I didn't do as good as that person? It's, it's, if, when that's in your mind, you're not going to be able to do this. But once you recognize you're fully loved by God, now you can joyfully give credit to other people, you can happily honor other people. And so in our community here, what we want to be known for are not the people blowing their own horns, but I want to blow horns for you, and you probably want to blow horns for other people. Like, we're celebrating each other and how God is working in our lives, and that's evidence of a healthy, loving community where people are feeling loved and thus can freely offer love. Okay, so wrapping up here, when you're free to love, you're free to lift others up, tell them the truth, want the very best for them, and proactively care for them. And I would submit to you that as a follower of Jesus, you get to do for others what he has done for you. You look up at that first sentence and you go, wow, that's exactly what Jesus did when he came here. That's exactly what he's doing now for you and I as we have a relationship with him. 
And now, rather than just being a receiver of that love from him, as little Christs, as Christians, as those who also wear his mark, we get to go out and love people the same way. So let's pray, let's commit this to God and ask for his, his help as we go forward. Uh, Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for making it possible that even in our brokenness, there's a pathway to healing and redemption and then restoration so that we can love the way we were built to love and we can even extend love to other people the way that you've loved us. That's an amazing principle. Uh, That's an amazing reality. Help us to step into it and live in it and enjoy it. I pray that even in each of our hearts today, you would put the seeds of how you want us to proactively care and make an effect with our love uh, in the church and on the community. We look forward to doing that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you. See you next week.